Welcome back to another podcast episode of New Mexico in Focus. I am your host, Kevin McDonald, an executive producer here at NMPBS. We have an election underway right now in New Mexico. Early voting has started in the special election for the 1st Congressional District. That's here in central New Mexico. That is to replace Deb Holland, who was named and nominated and approved to serve as the U.S. Secretary of the Interior, a first for Native American in our country's history. And uh, the race has been fast and furious. It had to happen within 90 days of that change. And the actual physical election day, June 1st, Expanded early voting starts on May 15th, but we're diving into in-depth conversations with the candidates. We're kicking things off here in this podcast with State Senator Mark Moores. He is the Republican candidate to replace Deb Holland. And uh, as Albuquerque has grown more Democratic, he's hung on to his Northeast Heights district. He owns a medical testing lab, but he's been in politics for decades, serving as chief of staff to former Lieutenant Governor Walter Bradley, He sat down in studio with senior producer Matt Grubbs to talk about his priorities. Uh, Kicking things off, they dive into what role crime should play in the agenda of a U.S. congressman. And they even talk about the Department of Justice consent decree here in Albuquerque and whether or not Senator Morris thinks that should come to an end. And also his thoughts on helping the crime problem while also keeping police reform at the top of the minds and hearts of those in power here in New Mexico. So here now, an in-depth interview with Senator Mark Moores on why he wants to run for CD1 and senior producer Matt Grubbs. On June 1st, voters in the 1st Congressional District will decide who should replace Deb Holland. Balloting is already underway and expanded early voting starts May 15th. The Republican candidate is State Senator Mark Moores. As Albuquerque has grown more Democratic, he's hung on to his Northeast Heights district seat. Mr. Moores owns a medical testing lab, but he's been in politics for decades, serving as chief of staff to former Lieutenant Governor Walter Bradley. He spoke with senior producer Matt Grubbs about his priorities, his take on intra-party differences, and what role crime should play in the agenda of a U.S. congressman. Senator Mark Morris, good to see you. Thanks for spending some time with us. Thank you, Matt. Great to see you. Absolutely. So let's start with policing. <laughs> right uh, off the bat. Right, exactly. It's kind of a weird one, right? Because um, you're running for Congress. Policing yep. is usually a local issue. Um, but let's talk a little bit about qualified immunity. That's Correct. something that New Mexico has recently addressed. Um, what are your feelings on that? Is, is getting rid of it as a defense a good thing? No, it's not. And I voted against that in uh, Santa Fe as a state senator. And I'll vote against repealing qualified immunity for law enforcement enforcement officers uh, in Washington. You know, I think we're all incredibly concerned and we have woken up as a country about some of the needs for reform with law enforcement. But you know what is really concerned me, Matt, is this vilification of law officers. Um, What we need to do is we need to stand by them. You know, my opponent says the system is broken and we need to scrap the entire system. That's not true. We need to stand by the law enforcement officers by giving them the training that they need to help serve us better. Better. Also, make sure they have the technology and the equipment that they need to serve us and protect our, st- our states. But what, what concerns me with the qualified immunity 
is that what, what we're having is a situation where law enforcement officers have to pause. They need to be able to react in situations that are life endangering. And if they stop and they have to think about that and that pause leads to the death of a citizen or even their death, that is very concerning and it can be very, very dangerous that my opponent actually supports. And right now you're seeing a huge reduction in morale in law enforcement. I've talked to officers who uh, have worked for many, many years, and they're wondering why a young officer or a young person would even come into the profession right now. So we cannot vilify the men and women in blue. We need to help them. We need good training, we need good equipment, and we need to be able to move forward and help them. Because you know what, Matt? As you well know, every day we, see, we wake up here in central New Mexico and there seems to be another murder. I think there's about 45 so far this year alone. Uh, and that is about twice of what the previous record was for this time of year. It's out of control. This epidemic is out of control. We don't need to defund the police. We don't need to eliminate the police. We don't need radical reform like my opponent wants. What we need to do is actually support and stand by them. We need to work to make sure bad officers get off the force, no question. But we also need to make sure those officers who are there to protect us have our support, including training and equipment. There's a, there's a lot to dig into there. Um, as we speak, uh, the Independent Monitor has come out with his, his most recent report, and it says essentially that, uh, look, um, you have the policies in place. You know, for the past three reports, you've been totally compliant with, with these policies, um, and you're doing okay at training, but that's starting to slack off, and then the real issue is that the department isn't taking these reforms that they entered into with the Department of Justice. The police aren't taking those to heart. Um, and, and it's almost a culture issue. Uh, how do you see um, your ability to, to leverage change in that? Do you see that as an issue? It's definitely an issue, and that's where I think we need that, report, uh, that reform, not the radical destruction of the system that my opponent supports. We need that training in the sport, and that's something that the federal government can provide without the heavy-handedness of the Department of Justice. You know, I met with the uh, Police Officers Association. They told me that 60 officers are off the street right now just doing paperwork. At a time where crime is through the roof and murders are through the roof right now, we're taking 60 law enforcement officers off the streets to do paperwork. We need training, we need support, we need technology, but we need to have common sense about this, especially with crime out of control right now. Do you feel like the Justice Department should allow the Albuquerque Police Department out of the court-approved settlement agreement right I now? I do, because right now we're in crisis. Albuquerque is burning. And it seems like the politicians are playing the fiddle. And we got to be able to deal with this criminal element that has just taken over the city right now. Um, and we have to be able to address that right now. Or, you know, we're not going to have economic development. We're not going to have new jobs here in town. Uh, we're going to see this continuation of this brain drain that we see in New Mexico as our young people move. We saw incredible stagnation this last 10 years of population growth. And that's a number of factors. And part of that is the out of control crime that's happening in central New Mexico. As families and businesses are looking, where are we gonna go? Are they really gonna go to New Mexico where every morning you wake up and you see a new murder happen within our town and the schools are underperforming and job opportunities for their children aren't here? So that is part of what is happening and crime is a huge central part of that.
um, your critics are going to say, if we go back to the way it was before without having completed the reforms, we're going to go back to a system in which um, bad cops, and you've mentioned they exist, um, they were costing the city tens of millions of dollars in settlements. Um, there were um, huge demonstrations in cities on the East Coast with a $6 million settlement, yeah. I can think of in Baltimore. Um, we were outpacing that by many, many times. Is that really the system you want to go back to? We need reform. We, ne we know we need improvements in the system. We don't need to scrap the system and destroy the system, as my opponent is calling for. Um, we need to reprove it. We need to get the bad cops and have that oversight off the street. But we also need to give them support, the technology, and what they need to do their job. We can't vilify the men and women who are coming in to protect us and going into dangerous situations and expect them to be there when, they, uh, when we are in trouble. Who's going to show up for murders and rape investigations if we just drive all the cops and consider the cops the bad guys? Um, you've, you talked a little bit about your opponent and you've, you've used the word radical to describe her. Um, the idea um, that we need to reform the system um, in a broad way, um, that, that does feel radical to you when it comes to public safety and, and policing? We need to reform the system. The, my opponent is radical because she has said that we need to pass the BREATHE Act. And I encourage the, list or the viewers to go to breatheact.org and look at what she's proposing at. It is the complete destruction of the law enforcement system. Her proposal, according to their own website, eliminates the police, prison, and all punishment paradigm. That's their words. It is completely defunding federal institutions like the DEA. ICE, the Border Patrol, task force, including the FBI uh, Terrorism Task Force. The bill she supports takes away federal funding for bulletproof armor for police officers. It even goes as far as saying drug-sniffing dogs cannot be allowed in federal agencies anymore. Who believes that is not a radical agenda? In fact, Matt, that bill says Federal law enforcement officers cannot go within a thousand feet of a school or a bus stop. How is that making sense? Who is the criminal that her radical proposal that she supports in that situation? She's saying that police officers, federal law enforcement officers can't go near a school. Which federal law enforcement officers? It's in the bill. BreatheAct.org. Is it, it immigration? Says, no, because it's there all, might be an argument. It says that. federal the bill says federal law enforcement officers on Breathe Act. And who believes that makes sense? Who is the criminal in that situation where sexual predators are being treated the same as law enforcement officers? And that's just a radical, radical agenda. Um, you've worked with some Democrats in the legislature who are, um, you know, they're, they're left-leaning Democrats. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I'm thinking of like Matthew McQueen, Andrea Romero. Good friends. Um, Jeff Steinborn. Mo Maestas, are, all good friends. Are they radical? Um, I believe so. And, but, you know, I think that's what's important. You bring up a very good point. Uh, that you can have different opinions in the legislature and we deal with some very important passionate issues that you have to have those differences opinion 
But 90% my experience dealing with Santa Fe and my experience in government is that 90% of what we do has to be able to work together. You have to be able to sit down and take like bills like I've talked about and some of the uh, good friends I have on the other side who have very strong op opinions about on issues, but then work together on all those other issues. Because our republic does not work if we're always fighting. Now we have to fight and we have to have those debates on these big issues. But all that list of people that you just said, good friends of mine, we have very different opinions on some big policy issues, but I strive to actually work with them on areas where we can work together. And that's one of my strengths, I believe, as a senator. Uh, I fight for my conservative values, but I also know that I need to work together with the other side on those, that, that critical issues that we need to advance in New Mexico and the nation. And I'll do that in Washington. I can, I can hear viewers um, shouting at their screens right now saying <laughs> that's not how it works in Washington. Um, it certainly doesn't seem to be how it works in Washington. If you win, most of your colleagues will have voted to not recognize the election. You know, it's, that's, a, that's a, sticky, um, a sticky issue. Do you feel like there is any question as to um, whether the results of the 2020 presidential election were legitimate? You said that's not the way it's been working in Washington, and you're absolutely right. Both parties are at fault for that issue, and it's been going on for too long. I have prided myself to actually work with the other side. I actually make it a point every year to find a piece of legislation in Santa Fe that can be bipartisan, including some of the legislation of uh, uh, people that you talked about earlier. This last year I did redistricting reform with one of the most liberal uh, state senators, Gerald Ortiz Pino, and we were successful working with a bipartisan, bicameral legislation. Um, so to answer your question, we're a republic. We have elections. Joe Biden is the president. I didn't vote for him, uh, and I will, I'm not happy about that, but we have to honor our constitutional republic. This amazing American experiment is about 240 years old, Mosamentals, and we need to make sure it continues for another 240 years. We have elections, they have consequences. We moved on as a nation. If we don't and we continue this, uh, this bickering back and forth and we refuse to work together, I fear that in 240 years we won't have a republic, if not sooner. Yeah, it certainly feels shaky at times. Um, I, I wanted to talk just a little bit um, about tax structure and this idea of, of radicalism. It seems kind of radical that the biggest companies and the wealthiest citizens don't pay very much in tax. Um, these are positions that the Republican Party has supported. Does that feel radical to you? The, I'm a small business owner. We're in healthcare. And so we actually have to recruit doctors, highly skilled medical uh, uh, professionals here to the state of New Mexico. People who can actually do diagnosis of testing and medical exams. And people who diagnose cancers, they are actually, it's very, very difficult to recruit them if we're not competitive. And we're not competitive when they look at the, we're looking at histotechs and lab techs who are making six figures. Uh, and uh, they can go to Arizona, Texas, other states around the Southwest or anywhere really in the country. And so since New Mexico is not competitive, we have a 
much more difficult time recruiting. So we have to be competitive uh, nationally and internationally. So the idea of raising the corporate uh, income tax uh, nationally, then then putting and making us one of the most highly taxed countries in the world, puts us at a, a competitive disadvantage, especially at a time where we need to be bringing that manufacturing base back to America. Again, I was in the healthcare field. I was in the front lines of the fight against COVID. I personally put on PPE every morning and went out there and collected COVID tests myself and put my health and safety online. And what COVID, the COVID taught us is that we have outsourced way too much manufacturing. All of our PPE, as you remember, uh, was, was very, we had to find, now you see how big I am, try finding PPE to fit me during the middle of a pandemic. Um, but on a serious note, it was difficult. We had to protect our staff and had to protect the people of New Mexico. Um, and, but we didn't have that manufacturing at the beginning of the pandemic. We have an instrument that is a quarter million dollar instrument that allowed us to do COVID testing that we use for viral testing in the laboratory. That instrument's made overseas. And for the rest of the pandemic, we only had that one instrument. We could have put three or four more instruments in use, but we couldn't get them because the manufacturing wasn't available. So we could have helped much more if we had been able to have that manufacturing here in America. And quite frankly, that instrument took a beating uh, and there was a lot of maintenance issues as we moved forward so that we, um, we could have actually helped New Mexico a lot more if that manufacturing was here in America. And so that's an example of why we cannot be the highest rate taxed country in the world. But we have not. to be, well, we're not right now, but the proposal would go to the, be one of the highest rated in the world. So that's why I think we're, if we look at the industrialized countries, we're about middle right now. And that's probably where we need to be to be competitive uh, because there are a lot of advantages for corporations to be in America, no question about it. We're the most powerful, successful economy in the history has ever seen. Um, but by making us less competitive and giving incentives for corporations to move overseas, when we need to be bringing that back here to America, because as COVID proved, we need that manufacturing here in the United States of America. Um, because quite frankly, Matt, there is going to be another pandemic. My grandfather became an orphan because of the Spanish flu a uh, hundred years ago. And here we go hundred years later. And with globalization the way it is right now, the next pandemic hopefully won't be for another hundred years, but let's be realistic. The viruses will change. There will be a new virus and we'll have to be prepared as a nation and a world for the next pandemic. Sure, it's a, it's a national security issue. Um, you mentioned redistricting. I do want to get to that. We got about five minutes left here and so much to, to cover. Um, uh, the idea that elections have consequences, certainly. Um, in 2010, um, Republicans had Project Red Map, which was the idea was to redistrict as many Republican seats as, as they could. Um, now Democrats are in control. Um, I'm not sure, can you, can you blame them for not wanting, you know, the, the Speaker of the House, Brian Egolf, was sort of resistant to this idea of a redistricting commission, um, which you did get passed in some form. Um, but can you blame them for saying like, well, wait a second, it's our turn, elections do have consequences. That's the problem with politics and redistricting right now because that's what happens every 10 years. It's not a Republican issue, it's not a Democrat issue. It is about our fundamental democracy in our republic. 
And that's where redistricting has always been in New Mexico. It has been that blood sport of legislators protecting their own districts and incumbents drawing their districts and taking their house and drawing their districts around and themselves to protect themselves. In New Mexico, it was literally a process of incumbents picking their voters as opposed to voters picking their legislature. And that's a Republican and Democrat issue. Uh, it's, it's, not here, it's not one or the other is better or worse because it is an exercise in raw political power. And it's also an exercise in caucus control. The leaders of the caucuses love drawing their uh, potential opponents for leadership out of their districts. <laughs> so it is not a Republican-Democrat issue. It is about just raw power. And so the importance of having a bipartisan, bicameral redistricting commission that I worked on for a number of years, and you and I have talked about many a times, was very important for the fundamentals of our republic and our democracy, to make sure that people were able to elect their representatives as opposed to the representatives picking their people. And I'm very proud of that bill. We work, I mentioned earlier, I worked with some of the most liberal members of the state senate and bipartisan group. Uh, and. Uh, um, uh, members of the House of Representatives, it took a team effort to break up that cabal of power. So I'm really excited about the redistricting reform that's happened. I don't believe it went far enough. I would like a constitutional amendment to mandate that uh, Independent Redistricting Commission is the ultimate arbitrator on picking out what, who, what maps there are. But the, what we did this year in a bipartisan, bicameral way really moved the ball forward. Okay, about 90 seconds left. Um, Climate change, um, how serious an issue is it right now? There's no question that we have to change our energy sources moving forward uh, from, from nuclear. Wind and solar are huge in New Mexico. You look at the economic development of wind uh, mills, like say in Torrance County in 1st Congressional District, hugely important for the ranchers out there and also for the school districts and the local community tax base that don't have oil and gas. But we also in New Mexico have one of the most vibrant oil and gas industries that have 134,000 jobs. And so it's foolish of us to scrap that like my opponent wants to do and put those people out of work immediately. We need to transition. We are going to transition eventually, but we need to also make sure we're protecting New Mexico because who is going to get rid of that 40% of the revenue the oil and gas industry brings to the state of New Mexico for capital outlay, for police officers, for our schools? Without that resource, New Mexico is even worse off than we are now. So it is foolish to actually cut off that huge opportunity for New Mexico to invest in itself for the future as we transition to new energy sources. Uh, lastly, and really quick, we just have a few seconds left. Um, both you and your opponent have run um, attack ads. They're a fact of life, a fact of campaigning. Um, she has, in fact, uh, run a bill that um, would lower income tax for for senior citizens um, uh, who are collecting social security. She signed a bill that would do that. And but she didn't do anything, she didn't do anything during the pandemic. That was 2020. Her, her, her party is in full control of the state legislature. They passed every one of their agenda items this last year that they wanted to. And when it came down to protecting seniors, she was nowhere to be found. I stood up on the Senate floor during the tax bill and ran an amendment. And the ironic thing, when I ran that amendment, all the Democrat senators who had signed on as sponsors to that bill, they voted no. They had the power to protect our seniors 
as a governor, in control of the governorship, the House, and the Senate by almost two to one margins. They passed every one of their agenda items. So what they said is, we're going to sign this bill, but it's not really our agenda, and we're not going to really do this. That's what politicians do, not leaders. So what you need to do is actually when you say something, you do it. You just don't put your name on a piece of legislation and say you do something. Because I think that's what New Mexicans are tired of. It's politicians serving themselves, not the people of New Mexico. Mark Morris, we're out of time, but we thank you for yours. Thank you. Thank you so much. We appreciate you tuning in as always. And again, we'd love to hear your thoughts on our approach to break up the weekly show into shorter podcast episodes. Do you like that or would you like it all in one big chunk? You can let us know here in the podcast or on any of our social media channels, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Find us any and all of those places. We'll be back again in the next day or two with the Democratic candidate in the 1st Congressional District Special Election, that's State Representative Melanie Stansberry. Until then, stay safe, stay healthy.